Oftentimes when we are outlining the book of Revelation, we'll do it by talking about the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. But there are all of these interludes and we've learned about that since we've been studying it, making our way to, to chapter 12. We've seen several interludes where we stop that basic outline and we get further information. Well, we had the last trumpet in our last study and we will not have the first bowl until we get to chapter, I think it's 16, is we get the first bowl and they'll all be in one chapter. Everything in between now and then are snapshots that give us further information. There's information that we need to know about what's going on during the tribulation period. We, we had one of them about the two witnesses a few weeks ago. We saw that they will be witnessing, that won't be able to destroy them, and uh, they will eventually be beheaded and then be resurrected. That'll all happen, <coughs> excuse me, during the tribulation period. Well, we get more of that now. And the snapshot that we're getting today and a message uh, that we have entitled Heavenly Conflict or, or the Woman, the Child and the Dragon is a snapshot for really all of history. If you don't understand what's going on in these six verses, <coughs> excuse me, and the rest of the chapter, then you don't really have a good understanding of what's going on behind the scenes in the history of the world. That's how important these six verses are in really understanding what they are saying. So here's what I want to do. I want to start off by reading the six verses, just getting familiar with it. Then we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about what it means. And we have confidence. It's like I said a little while ago, through the book of Revelation, at this point now, you get a lot of things that are, they are signs. They are, they are taken in a metaphorical kind of a way. They are significant in that they are like a sign, but they tell us what it means. It clearly tells us what it means. So we're going to see what it means. And then we're going to talk about some of the things that people say that it means and talk about why it can't mean some of those things that they say that it means. And we'll see how long we have because that may take longer than what we've got. So we'll see how far we get. But Revelation chapter 12, verses one through six. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,200 and 60 days, which is three and a half years. So we have the woman, the child, and the dragon. I'm trying to figure out who the woman and the child and the dragon are. Now, just mentally, as you've read that, make some notes in your mind. If you've covered it before, you can think about what you thought about before. But who do you think the woman is? 
Who do you think the child is? And who do you think the dragon is? Now, my guess is that you're gonna get the dragon right for sure. My guess is you're probably gonna get the child. 99% of you are gonna get the child. And maybe only because some of you heard another theory, you've come up with something else. But the identity of the woman is the one that seems to be up for people to evaluate. But I think that we can figure out who the woman is. So we're gonna start with the woman. This is Revelation 12, one and two. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. So this is a sign that represents something. We're told it's a sign. We know it represents something because it's a sign. So what does a sign do? A sign gives you further information. You're driving down the road, slow down, there's a bend in the road. The sign gave you further information. You were able to correct your conduct or to be more careful because of a sign. So a sign helps us to understand more things. And we're told it's a sign that appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain, she gave birth. It says a great sign. Now listen to what Revelation 1.1 says. Right when we were getting started with the book of Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants things which must shortly take place and sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. That term signified it, meaning to give signs. So there were certain signs that we were gonna receive that were gonna help us along the way. This is one of those signs. Now, there's a basic principle in hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a fancy word that means Bible study. So there's a basic principle in hermeneutics that if you're gonna take a look and try to figure out what one passage says, you wanna look at other passages that have similar statements to be able to see what they're saying. Rightly dividing the word of God, comparing scripture to scripture to see if we can come to what the right analysis is. So we wanna know, is there any other place where we've seen a woman with a sun and a moon, or the sun and the moon and 12 stars mentioned that might help us to understand who it is. And this is in Genesis 37, when Joseph, who was one of his father's, uh, Jacob's sons, 12 sons, there were 12 sons, 12 stars, he's one of the 12 sons and he's the favorite, remember? And the brothers were jealous. So can you imagine being the favorite son and having 12 older brothers who are jealous of you? because you're obviously your father's favorite. He makes him a coat of many colors, which was probably a sign that he was gonna be like the heir, the one in charge when, when his dad was gone. And so Joseph has two dreams. In the first dream, his 11 brothers are, are, are represented as sheaves and they're bowing down to him, agricultural society. They've gathered together the wheat into sheaves and now they're bowing down to him. So what does Joseph do? The youngest of them all goes and tells his brothers, I had a dream, you guys were all bowing down to me. So then in verse nine, he has another dream. It says, then he dreamed still another dream and told his brothers, and why not? Why wouldn't you do that? These are the same brothers, by the way, who are gonna sell him into slavery. He's gonna go into slavery and then he's gonna be fa accused falsely of rape. He's gonna go into prison. He's gonna have bad thing after bad thing happen to him until God lifts him up and begins to use him. And God has a plan even for the difficult dark days of Joseph. It's a great study. 
But he says, then he dreamed still another dream and he told his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Now we have the interpretation of the dream in chapters in chapter 37, verses 10 and 11. So he told it to his father and his brothers. So now he's telling it again. He's told it to his brothers already. Now he's telling it again, but here Jacob's around. And he says to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have had? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father's kept them, his father kept the matter in mind. So the woman in the sky with the sun and the moon, clothed in the sun and the moon and the 12 stars is the nation of Israel. It is God who chose Abraham that one of his descendants would bless all nations. Now this is really important to understand. God chose the nation of Israel as his people. Even in the book of Joel, when he's talking about the battle in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the, the battle of Armageddon, it's the last day's battle, God says they will gather together against my people. He still calls Israel in Joel, I think it's chapter two or three, he calls them my people. I will gather them together against my people. So God, but God chooses Israel as his people that they can be a vessel that would bless all nations. That's God's plan. Through one of their descendants would come one who will bless all nations. God had a bigger plan than just choosing Israel. God wanted to use them to bring the Messiah into the world so that all nations would be blessed. Now in the middle of that conflict began to happen. You remember that after the fall that God told Satan that the woman is going to have a descendant, a seed, and he is going to crush your head, but you are going to bruise his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. We call that the first prophecy in the Bible, the first prophecy about the Christ, that one of the descendants of the woman, woman is going to crush the serpent's head, going to defeat the serpent. But in doing that, he's going to be bruised. Now we look forward and go, well, that happened at the cross. He was bruised, but he, he was killed, but he rose from the dead. So he was bruised. But in that, he defeated the serpent that was in the garden. And we know that when Abraham was chosen and God said to Abraham, to you and your descendants, I will give this land and one of your descendants will bless all nations that the devil was aware of what was taking place. And immediately there was a battle to destroy Israel. We go all the way back to the time of Egypt, to the killing of the firstborn. We go back to Haman in wanting to kill all the Jews that were in Babylon. Uh, we can go to more modern times when we think about the attack upon the Jews uh, in both Russia and in Germany back in World War II. Uh, which uh, millions died during that time. I, I don't know the exact number, but somewhere but around a total of, of 14 or 15 million Jews were killed during that time. The growing anti-Semitism of today, why do people hate the Jewish people so much today? 
why does the church, a, a large majority of, a large section of the church, why do many of them hate Israel today and say that God has rejected them and that God's not going to keep his promises to them? Because there is a battle that is going on over Israel. But God said that in the last days, he will restore them. In fact, and, and I don't have the notes on this, but you can write this down. Romans 11, verses 25 and 26, God says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning this mystery, that blindness in part has happened to Israel but the, uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So blindness in part happens to them until the fullness of the Gentiles come in and then they will be saved. As it says, I will bring a deliverer out of Zion. God's plan is to not only restore the land of Israel, which has happened, the nation of Israel, which has happened, but he's to restore them to receiving Jesus as their Messiah. When does that happen? When they are taken and protected by God three and a half years into the tribulation period, they then serve and live for him as the Messiah. It is in their future and it is going to happen. Now, we have the second one, and that is the great fiery dragon. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems, crowns, on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars and threw them to the earth. Now, we don't have to go searching for who the, the dragon is because we're told just a few verses later. We'll cover this next week, but for the identity, we get it in Revelation 12, 9. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world and was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So it's the devil. It's the serpent of old. It's the anointed cherub who covers Listen to what Ezekiel 28, 14, and 15 say of Satan. This is, a, this is an area, and I think it's to the king of Babylon in Ezekiel and the king of Tyre in Isaiah. I might have those flipped around. But when it starts writing about the king of Babylon or the king of Tyre, it becomes obvious in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that he's not talking about those kings. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. And so in, in Ezekiel 28, 14 and 15, it says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. He's not just any fallen angel. He was the chosen anointed cherub who covers. We learned about cherubs earlier in the book of Revelation, cherubim and seraphim. We learned that they are around the throne. They are throne room angels. We know that there are cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, right? That are, have their wings stretched out towards one another. Could that be a representation of the cherubs that cover? We also know that in the temple, there were two other cherubs that were made. And so there were other, and this represents heaven and the cherubim that were in heaven. We can say this of Satan, he was a high ranking angel. Not only that, listen to what it says, he says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were in the holy mountain of God. You were 
walked, you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. There's something that's interesting. The throne room, the cherub that covers, the mountain of God, which we, is Eden, and walking back and forth of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the days you were created till iniquity was found in you. He was perfect. But in his, pro, in his perfection, pride came in. Now, when we read of this fiery dragon, we read of him, it looks, sounds horrible, right? A fiery red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns. So first of all, it's got seven heads. So you've got this fiery dragon with seven heads. So that sounds bad enough. But then they're not uniformed. You would want, in order for something to look good, you would want each of the heads to look just like the other head to at least get something. First of all, you got seven, so you could get three on one side and three on the other and one in the middle. Somebody with a little OCD here talking about this, right? But then you would want to have two horns on every head or one horn on every head. But instead, you got 10 horns, right? So you've got 10 and 10 diadems and 10 crowns that are there. So these, again, are signs. You know now in the studying the book of Revelation, that the number seven has a significance. The number seven is the, seven, is the, is the number of completeness of, sometimes people say perfection, but they don't mean perfection as in no flaws, but perfection as, as in being complete. Like now it's perfect, now it's done. Doesn't mean it doesn't have any flaws in it. So he has seven heads, which would speak of the complete evil of Satan. He has 10 horns, a horn in the Bible, and this goes all the way back in apocalyptic writing, is a representation of power. When an animal, when, when the book of Daniel talks about Alexander the Great, it talks about a small goat or a goat with two horns. They talked about the power that he had, the horns represented the power of Alexander the Great. Well, this dragon has 10 horns, Horns. This, the devil has 10 horns speaking of his power. He is immensely powerful. Now, so is Michael, the archangel. And we're going to see that there's a battle that takes place a little bit later on. Spoiler alert. In this chapter, next week, between Michael and Satan, this red fiery dragon and Michael are going to have it out. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, a fiery red dragon in this corner your champion, Michael, the archangel, right? They're going to have it out. So the diadems speak of him ruling. Now, Satan is called the God of this world. And we looked last week at Satan saying to Jesus when he tempted him, he took him to a high mountain. He showed him the kingdoms of the world in, in a moment and said, all of these I will give you because they are mine to give. And if you bow down and worship me, I will give them to you. And Jesus, of course, said, away from me, for it says you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. So he goes to the word of God to battle the devil, which is what we should always do. We go to the word of God to fight the devil whenever he's coming at us. Remember, no matter how, I don't want to say impressive, although I think Satan is impressive, no matter how powerful he looks, the 10 diadems, the 10 horns, the seven heads, this fiery dragon, Jesus said, greater is, or the Bible says, greater is he that is in you 
than he who was in the world. Jesus said, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. In 1 John, it says, if you are in Christ, you do not sin and the evil one cannot touch you. Now we know it doesn't mean that you never sin because earlier it says in the same book, if anybody says they have no sin, they're lying. So if anybody's in here like, well, that's me, I've achieved that, I don't ever sin. You can tell right now when you lied and now you've sinned, I'm sorry, but you ruined your record because everyone has sinned and everybody has sinned. We're all struggling with sin still. And when you think, you, you think you've got all the layers of sin out, here comes another layer. God's got to work on something else inside of your life. Now, knowing this, we as Christians should not have fear of the enemy. But when the angel shows up, when, when Satan shows up, the fallen angel, he doesn't show up looking like this. He show, the Bible says that Satan himself presents himself as an angel of light because he is the father of lies and he is a deceiver. And you can bet he is behind the deception that's taking place all over the world today. The Bible even talks about a lie in the last days that men are given over to. Now, some suggestions on what that lie could be. Some believe the lie is evolution. Some believe the lie is the denial of the flood, that there is scientific evidence for the flood, but there's been a great delusion and a lie that is given. And Romans 1 says they deliberately forget that the world was covered by water. Seems like it might be. There may be other things that could be this lie that is given in the last days. But Satan presents himself as being good. The Bible says that in the days of the judges, they called good evil and evil good. And I'm going to add in the days that we are living, the world is calling evil good and good evil. That's the world that we're living in. Whether or not, and I made this statement a while back, that we are living in a post-Christian era. And I was challenged on that a little bit. I got some pushback. And, and maybe correctly in the United States, more so in, certainly in Europe. In England and Europe, we're living in a post-Christian era for sure. So we get some pushback here in the United States and, and maybe we're not quite there, but we're trending. We're heading towards a post-Christian world. And we are gonna have to stand for Christ in the midst of taking heat from a world that starts to say Christian as a pejorative term. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? Really? Seriously? There, that's how the world sees us as Christians. And it hasn't always been that way, but it is now. And it's becoming more and more like it. And the devil is behind it. So the enemy, the dragon, is standing to devour the child. Now, who's the child? I said most of you would get this right. There is a belief out there we'll talk about uh, momentarily. Um, so it says in, uh, what verse are we in here? Um, the end of verse four. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, obviously to me, the child is Jesus. He is the one who will rule with the rod of iron. Iron was the strongest metal that was known. And so he would rule with a rod of iron. The Messiah 
is spoken of as crushing the nations with a rod of iron. So this is Jesus who was born. It is the, uh, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people to bless all nations through, giving birth to the Messiah who was Jewish. And, and we as Christians can sometimes forget that his name is Joshua and that he was very Jewish. Oftentimes when you talk to Jewish people who have been told to not study Jesus at all, when they begin to study him, they're surprised to find out that, that he's Jewish. And he's talking about Jewish things. He, he's not talking about what we talk about today in Christianity. He's talking about very Jewish things and they're surprised to find that out. So he is the child who was born. He's the one who's caught up to heaven. So you see how this is a picture of the backdrop of the nation of Israel being chosen to fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 the dragon standing against him and even right before opening to devour the child as soon as he was born. What happened after Jesus was born? There's a sign in the stars that we don't know what it is. And the, the wise men from the east, and we don't know how many there were, make their way to go see Herod and learn that Micah 5 tells us that Bethlehem is where the Messiah is going to be born. His days would be from everlasting, by the way, which is an incarnation term. That, that's God becoming man term. His days are from everlasting. And that Herod wanted to kill him. And so he said to the wise men, when you find him, come and tell me as well that I may go and worship him. But he wants to go and kill him. And so they're warned by an angel in a dream. So they go a different way. And when Herod hears about that, he massacres the babies in Bethlehem. And it says, is the fulfilling of Rachel wailing for her children because they are no more. Trying to devour the child. Joseph is warned in a dream to take the child and go to Egypt. So he takes Jesus and goes to Egypt. Probably Alexandria, because during the days of, of Mary and Joseph, there was a large Jewish community in Alexandria, Egypt. So probably there, maybe somewhere else but that's most likely where they would go as Jews to that area. And that's where Jesus would be until he's 10, 11, 12 years old, would be growing up in Egypt. And God said, I will call my son out of Egypt. Now it says the woman fled into the wilderness. And now we're in the middle of the tribulation period. So we've gone away through this. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation taking place that Daniel spoke about, so Jesus is talking about it still happening in his time before, uh, after him. When you see it, don't go. If you're on the rooftop, don't go back down and get anything. If you're in the field, don't go back to your house. Just flee into the wilderness. So at this point, God chooses to protect Israel in a supernatural way. We'll get more of this as we're making our way through the book of Revelation but we do see that they are protected for the last three and a half years. And the dragon comes after them. The dragon wants to destroy them, but the dragon is not the opposite of God. Don't think God, the devil, opposites. Michael, the archangel is as close as we can get to Satan and, 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 and an opposite. God will be victorious. That's why even though this world is full of evil and demonic spirits, you and I are secure in Christ because he is so much more powerful than the enemy. Now, we've got a little bit of time for us to talk about some of the other interpretations that are out there, okay? Uh, some of you may have 
saw this in 2017. There were quite a few prophecy ministries that began to look at Virgo, the zodiac sign Virgo. So you've got the 12 signs of the zodiac. There's some other that, others that can be added to that. Um, there's a book written called um, The Gospel in the Skies that talks about the constellations and how the constellations tell the story of this, our Savior and Jesus. So there is some truth to the, and God made the stars for signs. There's some truth to stars and constellations. But we also know that the Zodiac became a religion that was forbidden. In Isaiah 40, 70, uh, 47, 13, he talks about going to those who are astrologers and stargazers and pronosticators and stand up and, and save you from the way uh, you shall come upon, from the way shall come upon you. He's saying, go to them and see if they can save you. I'm going to judge you. You go to these guys and see if they can save you. So certainly there's this group that is forbidden, that is wrong with the Zodiac and the constellations and all that's going on. However, there is some truth that God created. And Orion's mentioned in the Bible. Another constellation is mentioned in the Bible. So there's some truth to that. So they talk about Virgo and Virgo is the virgin. And um, that in September um, of 2017, that Virgo and Leo, which are always together, had the sun just off of the shoulder of Virgo and the moon right by her feet. And Leo has nine stars and had three planets in it, which made it 12. And that Jupiter, which is supposedly the king's planet, was inside of Virgo for nine months before exiting out of Virgo on September 23rd, which is Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. It is so exact to what's here that you have the woman with the sun and the moon, clothed in the sun, the moon in her feet, the 12 stars upon her head, that's giving birth. And then it was even said that there was a red dragon. And I looked, tried to look it up today. A lot of it's been scrubbed from the internet, but I did find some of it. If you want to go and see some of the pictures that they say that there was a red dragon that appeared in Virgo. So there's this picture of a couple of eyes and some teeth and, and that that was a red dragon and supposedly NASA and star whatever uh, blocked it so no one could see it during that time. Now, people said, said that this was when the rapture was going to happen. I don't know if you remember this back in 2017. The rapture is going to happen because, I mean, it's Rosh Hashanah. The day it comes, that the Jupiter comes out of Virgo is Rosh Hashanah. This is the Feast of Trumpets. This is, this is the Jewish New Year. This is going to be when the rapture happens. So they were date setters. Did it happen? No. So then people went, well, you know what? It wasn't the rapture, but it is the beginning of the tribulation. The tribulation started on September 23rd of 2017, which means, and this is how they tested it. And these videos are still out there. You can find them from five years ago, which means that, that three and a half years in, Sacrifices are going to have to start in Jerusalem and the abomination of desolation is going to have to happen of April of 2021. You can calculate and know that we're past April of 2021. So then they changed it and they said, well, what it means really is that the seven years the rapture is going to start. Seven years from the time that that happened, the rapture is going to start. So we've got that to deal with. The rapture is not going to happen seven years from September 23rd of 2017. And it's not going to happen 10 years because that's another theory. 
because there's 10 days of celebration for Rosh Hashanah, so there'll be 10 years of celebration, the day, year, theory, there's 10 years of it. Now, really quickly, um, when you go back to this account, first of all, the sun was off to the side of Virgo and wasn't on Virgo. Secondly, the moon wasn't under her feet, but was kind of down by her feet. Thirdly, Jupiter moved in and out during the nine months. So it didn't stay in there for nine months. Thirdly, there's not only nine stars in Leo. And Leo is sometimes drawn with 10 or 13 stars. So there are the way that Leo can be drawn with nine stars, but he is also drawn by astronomers with, with 10 and 13. And there are as many as 30 stars in the constellation of Leo. So why just choose nine? So you can add the three planets. Why not choose 10? Why not choose 13? So that you're kind of shoehorning it in. You're just kind of, you're making it fit. You're like, yeah. And, 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 and Jupiter doesn't come out on the 23rd. It comes out a few days later. But you, so you're kind of shooing it in. But do they say any of that when they're telling you guys the account? Oh, no. They're telling you she was in there for nine months, came out on the 23rd. There's 13 stars overhead. The moon's by our feet. The sun's by there. So everything looks like it's right on the nose. And it's enough to get you to go, Jesus is coming back September 23rd, 2017. Stop setting dates. Stop setting dates. Harold Camping set dates. They never came true. Um, William Miller set a date of 1844, the great disappointment. People killed themselves after Jesus didn't come back in 1844. Look it up. The great disappointment. They sold everything they had. They gave it for the message to be spread around the world that Jesus was coming back in 1844. Out of the Millerites came, the Jehovah Witnesses came, Seventh-day Adventists. They're both known for setting dates. 1988, they set a date. Israel became a nation in 48. In 88, it was, good. it was a biblical 40 years. Jesus was coming back in 88. There was a book written, 88 Reasons for 88. Then when it didn't come in 88, 89 Reasons for 89 was written. It didn't happen. Jesus was supposed to come back in 2000. Remember that? The year 2000. We've got a very round number coming up in, in, in let's just call it um, 2032, 2000 years from the resurrection of Jesus. People are already saying Jesus is coming back in that date. Jesus said, I think it's Matthew 24, 44. You don't know when the Son of Man is coming back. He will come back in an hour. No, be ready because you don't know when the Son of Man is coming back. He is coming back at an hour you don't expect him. So here's what people say. Well, all that says, it's an hour we don't expect him. He is not, that is so dishonest intellectually. Everybody knows that's an idiom. Everybody knows it. Is there anybody that thinks that Jesus is like, you're going to know, you're going to know, you know, you don't know the hour, but you could know the day. Is anybody think Jesus said that? Was that what Jesus is saying? But that's what all of these date setters do. They set their dates and they go, well, it says you can't know the hour, but you can know everything else. It says you don't know when he's coming back. And that's what it means. Stop, stop for the love of all that is good and right in the world. Stop setting dates. It's so ridiculous. The Bible says he's going to return at a time you don't expect him. Every time a date is set, I go, there's another day. There's another day that's gone. All right, let's talk about um, some of the other ideas here. 
And I would like to spend more time on this. I'm not going to be able to because I got off on a tangent on setting dates. Um, but it is those that deny Israel that believe that the church has replaced Israel. And they say that the woman with the 12 stars is the church. And the 12 stars are the 12 apostles and we gave birth to Christ. But the church didn't give birth to Christ. Christ gave birth to the church. And where are we going to, and the rest of it just doesn't fit. It's not the church. And this is the people that hate so often, I don't want to paint everyone who believes in replacement theology as hating Israel, but so often they do. Martin Luther, who believed that the church replaced Israel, wrote some venom against the Jewish people. Absolutely embarrassing. His stuff that he wrote when he was younger was so good, but absolutely embarrassing that he was so anti-Semitic. Absolutely embarrassing. And, and I see it today. I see it on our YouTube channel comments where people will call Israel the, the harlot of revelation, where they just will come after Israel and there's a venom. Still, even today, not today, today, but in our day, I've had people refer them as, as Christ killers, even in our day. This has been something they have put up with over the years. God made promises to Israel that he is gonna take them to the end of the time and that he is not gonna forget them. And God is not gonna fulfill his, his promises to Israel by giving them to the church. Go and sign a note to a bank that you're gonna pay them for your, uh, your mortgage and then pay another bank and see if that works. Or make a bowl of ice cream for one of your children and promise them you're gonna give them one. Go make a bowl of ice cream and come out and give it to your other child and see how that works. The, the person you're making the promises to matters. You can't say, I don't like you anymore, so I'm going to fulfill my promise to you by giving it to them. What kind of person does that? You are maligning God when you do that. What kind of a person says, I promise you, but I'm going to give it to you? That's not God. God will keep his word to who he says he will keep his word to. And one of the reasons this idea of replacement theology came up is because you had Israel nowhere around until, 19, until the 1900s. It would, Israel lay desolate. And they had to figure something out because the, the, all of the, the passages about Jesus returning are full of Israel. So how can you have all these passages talking about Israel, but Israel's nowhere around, so they came out with replacement theology. Can I just get really direct with that too? Give it up. Give up replacement theology. God has restored the nation of Israel. They are here. We're not saying they do everything correct. We're not even saying they're godly because right now they're a secular people, but they are going to come to Christ. God's gonna take them through super difficult times and he's gonna bring them back to himself. Now, the last one comes from mostly uh, Orthodox churches and Catholic churches that venerate Mary. And they will say that Mary is the woman that gave birth to the child. Now that works really well. Mary was, gave birth to a child. The 12 stars would represent the apostles, I guess, to try to, to make it work, but it doesn't fit with the overarching story. And I just wanna say, let's be careful against backlashes against ideas. Mary was chosen, blessed among women. And God chose Mary to, to, to bear Christ, to be a virgin that would bear a child, 
because she knew, knew him, had a relationship with him. When you read her song in the book of Luke, you realize how well she knows the gospel. But remember, in that song, she says that she needs a savior. She is birthing her savior. But we got to be careful against backlash of attacking against Mary. And I've seen that done where, where we, Protestants will come against Mary because she's venerated too high. And I do believe that she gets venerated too high. But we've also got to watch against backlash and get to the proper place and the proper balance. She is blessed among women, the Bible says. She's not blessed above women. So there's a proper place for veneration, but these things are not, uh, it, 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 isn't, it isn't Mary. It just doesn't fit the overarching story. That's taking a worldview that's of today, your own worldview, and imposing that on the scriptures. That's another basic hermeneutical study. Hermeneutical? This is a basic study of hermeneutics. I don't know if hermeneutical is a word. The basic, you know, hermeneutic studies. And when you're taking things in your life and you put them onto the scriptures. This is a very Jewish book from beginning to end. It's Jewish. And, and Christianity is Judeo-Christianity. We come out of it. And the woman that brings forth the child is Israel and the dragon has tried to destroy and will continue to destroy. And there's certain other things that don't fit there. Now, I've gone too long and we need to wrap it up. So stand with me, would you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to be able to discuss these things that we find here in Revelation and even to discuss some of the things, kind of things that people do when they try to make something their own little pet peeve. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the right interpretation of the signs that we are given as we make our way through the book of Revelation. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.